You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. Spiacere. Your arms must be so tired. Um, yes. I'm a little tired, actually. Yes. Because? Oh, I didn't know. Uh, I just I just got back in from uh, from Paris, actually. And before we get into this podcast, we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Valdoca Prosecco. Yes. Um, I, I don't know if anybody's had Valdoca, but I would recommend you uh, pick up a few bottles for the holidays. And not just because they are sponsoring the podcast, but because it is a very good Prosecco. I agree with everything that you just said. Valdoca Prosecco. <laughs> The sparkling wine of two guys talking wine for the rest of 2023. For the rest of 2023, and we are very, very happy to do it. And again, we are uh, we do recommend the product. It's not just because they are the sponsor. We are talking about Italy in this episode, though. Yes, we are talking about Italy. Henceforth, it fits very well. Yeah, in, in with that. So. But we're not and talking about. We're not talking, we're not talking about, about the Prosecco region. No. But you know, you're very close, yes. actually. And uh, speaking of just getting back from, you just recently ish uh, returned from Alto Adige. Now I have been to Alto Adige as well, but I was like yeah. three or four years ago. Um, and, uh, then the wonderful folks at Sopexa was nice enough. Well, originally they reached out to me and I said, we would love to do some Chardonnay. And they said, Oh, we have some Chardonnay from Alto Adige. How does that fit in? I go, yeah, fits in even better because Andre's going. Yeah. So. Well, and, uh, I mean, if we want to get into sort of like the top level, like I love it when I get a chance to go to regions that are, I guess, off the beaten path for what you know, a typical wine consumer is someone who isn't necessarily wine savvy. And I think is if you talk to someone who's even a little bit interested in wine, they could probably, you know, rattle off like Tuscany. You mean in Italy, in Italy, in terms of, in terms Sis- of wine uh, regions, maybe Sicily. Sicily. Yeah. Uh, may, maybe Veneto, although they don't know that it's Veneto. Exactly. They'll just go Amarone. So this is the, um, this is the second trip I've taken to Italy to one of the lesser known regions. And I left like completely moved to my core about, um, like everything about the region. We were based in, in Bolzano. Yep. It's a small city, like close to the Austrian really, border. Really pretty, eh? Beautiful city. And, and you know, it's, it's sort of frustrating as a Canadian being there, like when you're in a small town and you just see how well it works. The density, the like three and four story apartments that are in this small town. And it's just like, man, we really like mucked up North America with like these sprawling suburbs. And like I had a grocery store across the street from my hotel. We were in a very nice hotel, but... I prefer Earl Grey tea, which is not something that's typically on a continental breakfast in no. a country obsessed with its espresso. No, no. Uh, yeah, tea is, uh, depending on the hotel, if it's a larger hotel, um, yes, you can find tea very easily. Uh, if you are at a small hotel, um, those those espresso machines, though, was a machine, right? You yeah. Had, okay. If you look for the hot chocolate, it can change your life. I still just a tea drinker. But anyways, like the point I'm just making is like the the, the restaurants were all in when walking proximity. There was a farmers market, like a short walk from. Oh yeah, my, you know because I was there, uh, and I'm pretty sure I stayed. In the, well, I'm sure they stay in the same city all the time. Yeah, yeah. That farmers market is great. You just kind of wander through, and that's it. Just, I, like, I brought back, um, not exaggerating, six pounds of parmesan. <laughs> oh wow. Okay, so yeah, that I got for like a very good price. It was like, it was um, more expensive than I thought it would be in Italy, and obviously, like we, I wasn't in 
the region that makes Parmesan. No, you were not. But you know, it's still like I, I'm still enjoying it in my in my kitchen, like as we speak, like almost a month later, and it's just like it's so much more flavorful than what we get at the grocery yeah. stores. And Parmesan, like it because it's such a hard cheese, stays like forever like i don't want to say forever but i mean almost forever so thanks to the fine people from sopexa we have five wines in front of us to sip on while we're talking about the podcast one of these wines i actually had a chance to drink in italy so you'll have to stick around on the podcast to see whether or not it's something i'm excited about okay uh but i had a chance Even I'm, I'm interested to find out which one it was oh there we go yeah uh i had a chance to sit down with uh, two of the marketing people in alto idj and it was I got to do an Prima, like you do, yep. like you did, and I was super impressed by it. The best way that um, these people described the culture in Bolzano is it's got a little bit of the laid-back Italian sentiment with the German, like, yep. like precision. Yeah. And I was so impressed with, like, the layout of the trip. And we'll get it, into that. And it is, it is a very weird region for that uh, <laughs> because it is one of those regions that doesn't completely know where it fits in from my from from my understanding well, the, the of food, the, the street food were pretzels like the street foods were, were big hot baked pretzels yeah. like it, it wasn't remotely like what i experienced no. in rome where like you get the little pizza shacks everywhere yeah with, where, they, where they cut it off and 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 but, but you know what, let's sell it by the pound let's let's get into like just my interview i did with the with, sure. the, with the marketing people let's because right this, is, this is going to set the, the table for the whole thing and it's just like and I'll, you know, and I'll drink some wine while listening. Exactly. Um, so so basically, I went into this asking what the hell I was doing in Alto Adige. Hi, I'm Alexandra Cemran, and I work in the Consortio Alto Adige Wines, and I'm responsible for marketing. Hi, my name is Edward, and I'm the director from the Alto Adige Wine Consortium. Alto Adige is in the northern part of Italy. We are next to the border to Austria and to Switzerland. At the moment, we have the Wine Summit uh, 23. This is a special event for uh, journalists and press people from uh, all over the world. We have 80 journalists, but not only journalists. We also have masters of wine and, of course, also some bloggers from around 12 markets. Alto Adige is is a place uh, between... Uh, cultures so uh, we are uh, speaking uh, two or three languages so German, Italian and also an old uh, indigenous uh, language it's called uh, Ladinish and uh, this region is, um, is, a, is, is a region uh, in the Alps surrounded by mountains we have also the Dolomites and our region is producing wine since 2500 years we have around 20 varieties is growing. So these um, varieties of, of different uh, things, what we have here in Alto Adige, like the language, the climate, the terroirs, it's also in the, in the, of course, also in this grape varieties, what we have here, what can grow here in our region. So I think we are really multitasking and multi-region. Uh, and we have a lot of varieties, but you have to consider uh, in the last 40 years, uh, things changed in our region. So we have two indigenous varieties. They are called Schiava and uh, Lagrain. And um, these are uh, red varieties. And we we had um, predominantly uh, Farnach in our region. It's in the Schiava, uh, the German name of the Schiava. 
and uh, it changed in the last 40 years and now the region is producing around 65% of white varieties. Yes, and we are the most known white uh, wine region of Italy for this reason, actually. You know, um, there's two grapes. I don't want to unpack that part of the conversation now because I know you're excited to get I, to I it. I do like the two red grapes. The, the and I, I find it and Le, Le Grin, like there, there is a That is a very important part of my trip. You gave me the heads up about yep. it. I said, I said, go for the indigenous grapes. Don't go for the, um, for the international grapes. So I have listened to you, but my overall impression with the region and even going to the Anteprima was the crazy high quality of the crazy high quality of the wines. When they said they had 20 varieties planted, this is another region where it reminded me a lot of what's going on in Niagara where you have Gewürztraminer and Cab Sauve and Merlot and, you know, Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay and yeah, Gamay. And it's just like, and they, everything. They, they haven't, they haven't bear, you know, pinpointed down like every other region in, in Italy seems to have, have done. But they don't need to because the quality is so high. And also they've, they've got it figured out to have the right grapes planted in the right place because it, it is between the Dolomites. Yep. There's mountain ranges all around it. You can go higher up in altitude, whether you're on the east or the west side, to maintain your acids for your varieties, whether they're red or white. When you get to the bottom of the valley, you get a lot of sunshine and heat, which is great for the red varieties. The, the thing I just I, I asked them was, um, well, I could, I'm, I'm kind of bearing the lead on this, but I did get to the point where it's just like, so how do you pin your identity? Because like, like you said, like every other region in the world is kind of pared down their grapes to like a handful, but like... How do you market yourself as a region when you do well, 20 varieties well, as well? Great varieties in Europe have, have kind of pinned themselves down. We are still in the new world very much, uh, you know, th uh, throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, but we're not doing it right. Like, we've talked about this before. Like, New Zealand's hit it out of the park with Sauvignon Blanc and now Pinot Noir. We've got Chile that have nailed it with Cabernet Sauvignon. California's nailed it with Cabernet Sauvignon. Oregon's done it with Pinot Noir. But all of the but all of those regions have also besides besides Oregon and well, Oregon and New uh, Zealand, and New Zealand, same starting point for, as us. Correct. Uh, but th those have actually pinpointed down to grape varieties. The other regions you mentioned, we'll throw anything in the ground to see what what sticks. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of a marketing message, though, they correct. Still they already have. know what what works there. So, like, I talked to Alexandra and Edward just about the quality of the wines, and this is one where. I'm trying to be very careful, Michael, because it's not my first press trip. And obviously, when you go on a press trip, a region is going to put its best foot forward. But I made sure, like, I tasted a hundred and some wines, over a hundred wines at the Anteprima day that I was there. And honestly, there were no wines that were below three and a half stars in the full panel that I tasted. Like, I've never, I've never seen a lineup of wines like that. Like, you would not experience that in Ontario. Did you, uh, did you pick and choose your wines based on anything in I started particular? by, I started by variety. Um, actually, you know, I'll, 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 we'll, we'll talk about how I picked the wines after because I was impressed with certain things. So I kind of had a slight method to my madness where it was just like, I needed to start and I needed to pace myself and I needed to make sure I had enough time to taste what I wanted to taste. And I did it. But there is a method to my madness. So when I talked to Alexander and Edward, here's what they had to say about the quality of the wines in Alto Adige. I think it starts as all our winemakers they have a very good education. 
so they uh, they learn everywhere around around the world and our people likes to travel likes to visit so like to understand what's going on in the world and then they are coming back and having um, and trying to uh, to, to work with all this knowledge in our region then everything is done by hand so the f starting from the pruning to, mm, finishing with the harvesting uh, it's everything hand-picked and uh, mm, considering that uh, all our vineyards mostly are on, on steep slopes uh, so you, you don't have any chance to do it differently and uh, you have to know we have 5,700 hectares cultivated by 5,000 wine growers so uh, the surface or the vineyards actually they are very very small and the people take the time to treat them really really very very well and so the quality starts in the vineyard and of course then the the seller uh, the wine in the cellar the winemaker will or try to bring the best wine out of of these grapes and we believe in quality and uh, as alexander said we have um, all these varieties uh, all these um, different altitudes from uh, 200 to thousand up time. to thousand uh, meters above the sea level and this makes it uh, yeah very interesting and vibrant I think another reason is also maybe if I can say Eduard um, we are so small uh, 5,600 hectares uh, 700 hectares we are less than 1% of Italian's production so I think the only way what our growers can go or our uh, wineries then uh, is to go direction of qu quality and so um, the the our uh, we we sell above all in places like restaurants, uh, and so our strategy also uh, from the beginning to the end goes to direct quality and uh, wines what are for wine lovers. You know, I don't think you and I spend a lot of time thinking about the economics of what go into making a bottle of wine, but just imagine that in a region where it's difficult to grow grapes and it's expensive to grow grapes that you have to do all the work by hand that you would decide to focus on quality instead of quantity. Hmm, if only we could bring that model to uh, another wine region on the planet that, you know, everyone might win in. Can, can you think of any region that might come to mind, Michael? Well, I, I mean, our, you know, we, we, we obviously have mechanization so that we have that, uh, we have that, advantage over them obviously because they're which, which a very hilly region and me mechanization doesn't take away but, but from yes, quality necessarily from quality, quality over quantity and unfortunately uh and here's where i you know throw a little shade onto the grape growers uh, is that uh, we have put an emphasis on quantity when it comes to pricing Yep, the uh, they, they need if, if anyone from the grape growers of ontario is listening right now i highly recommend you take a look at what has happened in Alto Adige over the past 40 years, you guys need to get rid of the sugar scale that you use to dictate the price of grapes. And we've heard it. There are people in Niagara, and you hear it as a journalist, like when you're new to this, you know, bricks is one of the first terms that you learn, which is like, oh, that's a word that people outside the wine industry don't know. But there's certain winemakers who are just obsessed with bricks, 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 where it's like, that's not the only indicator of, of quality. Of quality, right? correct. Um, so... We buried the lead a little bit. I'll get the, this is the last clip I'm gonna gonna play, uh, and then we'll get on the soapbox and discuss. We we've tasted a few of these wines, um, but I, I asked them about the kitchen sink. We we sort of unpacked the uh, debate just a little bit earlier about how do you define a region when you have everything under the sun planted. So 
Uh, this is what Alexander, Alexandra and Edward had to say about that. It's the diversity. Uh, the diversity makes, it makes us so unique. Yeah. I think the diversity, uh, as I told before, in, in, in the wine, in the wine varieties, in our culture, in our languages, because we speak, uh, we are so bilinguals, and uh, this, this, all this diversity makes, I think, also uh, somehow fascinating our region. And... Uh, but what I can say, of course, being in um, part uh, or an important part of the uh, of the Italian wine production, Italy is well known in the world, and being known as in, in a lot of wine lovers know that we are one of the best white wine regions of Italy. Of course, this uh, helps us a lot to uh, in our positioning. I think in 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 also foreign markets. And then, of course, uh, it's fascinating if you have all these varieties and these possibilities in wine and food pairing. So we can always find uh, the best match. So, for example, if we make a dinner, we don't have only one grape variety. We have a lot. So our uh, events are always exciting. You know, um, as someone who works in, in marketing, I I think it's a risky move as a wine region to market yourself as like the region that can produce everything good but i'm kind of here for it like if you can instill in the consumer the confidence of walking into any liquor store on the planet that whatever variety you pick up from alto adj is going to be of quality like you're you're winning right um on the other hand now please let's do it i would have been waiting for this i i play devil's advocate a little bit here um, and then I also play the uh, new guy in a in a new region card as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, I remember the first time that I uh, that I went to uh, Tuscany mm-hmm. and did the Anti Prima, and uh, I was thrilled. I thought everything was great. I you know first time. You walk around Florence, first time you get into a large room, first time you taste a whole bunch of wines, and you get all excited by the whole thing, and you feel that everything is great. Uh, and now I have been uh, a, d- a dozen times, I think, and you start to put a, you know, a, a different hat on because... You have tasted vintage after vintage. You yep. have tasted uh, a variety of the wines, uh, you know, from different levels: Reserva, uh, the Basic, uh, the Grand Selection. And I, I and I admit, sometimes going to a region for the first time, you think everything is great. And when I went to Alte Adige, now I was a little bit further along in my in my in my wine career. Yeah. Um, I think the things that stood out to me there. Uh, were were Pinot Bianco. That was my number one standout as well. I fell in love with Pinot Blanc. That's that's what it is called yep. to most of us. Uh, again, I like Pinot Blanc. I've always liked it. But then I started tasting what we were doing here in Ontario, and it got really bland. As I remember tasting a few that I liked, but then it became like a really bland wine. And then... I went to Alto Adige, and it was like, this is Pinot Blanc. Oh, uh, Cantina Terlan. I need to give a shout-out to them, because the first night that we were in Alto Adige, we went to a really nice dinner. 
uh, me and some of the other Canadian journalists, we got a wonderful tasting menu that was like a perfect marriage of French and Italian cuisine. And they served us like really nice wines out of magnums. Like it, it felt like a really special event, but the standout was Cantina Terlan, the piano Pino Bianco. And this is the thing. I understand what you're, what you're saying. And I, I will fully admit that there might be a little bit of the like new wine region discovery mode, but like I'm taking a look at my, at my book and I flip the page to you where you can see that, I only have stars beside maybe 7% oh, okay. of, of the wines. And the stars are the ones that stood out in the different categories. So we're talking about like two wines and flights of like 24. But the thing is, the, like the good wines stood up head and shoulders. Absolutely. Good wine always stands out. So, so when I retasted the Terlan at the, uh, at the Antiprima, I was supremely pleased that like it decimated everything on the Pinot Bianco on the Pinot Bianco uh, flight, and, and the other thing I'm, I'm going to say, you said every, everything. You know, if you go to the Alto Adige region uh, uh, in the wine shops, and you'd be very excited. I, I, I've got two wines here in front of me that they're good. I, yeah, they're not as exciting. Like the, the they're not are, exciting. They're so, so what was sent okay. to us? So what was sent to us from Sopexa are definitely what's available at the SAQ, and I think this is why. Alto IDJ is spending money on sending journalists over there is to try to increase that market presence. Like, there's no way anyone at the LCBO would be courageous enough to put this on the shelf of vintages or to put a good bottle on the shelf of vintages because it's not Camus. Baby boomers aren't going to buy it. Who gives a crap? Well, yeah, we can start, you know, crapping all over the LCBO yet again because they are absolutely putting the worst wines, not the worst wines, but they are putting... The most mediocre, mediocre mass-marketed, mass-appeal. And I've always had a problem with the LCBO because they could be a market leader, like for Canada, mm-hmm. and they just wait and wait and wait and see what sells, and that's all they care about. Uh, I think if they were to give us something exciting to talk about, but obviously they're not doing that because they're not inviting us in to taste the wines. But All right, anyway, so to move on on, on on Alto IDJ, um, highlights for me were sparkling wines. We had a sparkling wine reception. What a, what a you know what a great region for it. Obviously, you can get the acidity uh, up the yin yang. But the best part about it is the sparkling wines were all supremely affordable. We're talking like twenty euro bottles. Uh, I brought back my favorite sparkling Blonde de Blanc. Should be no surprise to anyone no, I, that actually, Captain Chardonnay brought back a Blanc de Blanc from Alto Adige. Uh, I found a beautiful, beautiful wine shop. Like it's just like it's the thing that makes me even more angry at the LCV. Is like I walked into this wine shop with a young woman working, uh, maybe a third the size of like a regular size LCBO in Ontario, with half the store. Half the store was Alto Adige wines, and I went in and I said, I tasted this. Pinot Bianco from Cantina Terlan, do you have it? And she went to her computer and she was like, yes, we have it. Just let me go in the basement and get it for you. And then when I walked the shelves, I found the sparkling wine that I like. I walked out of there with two bottles. I spent maybe 35 euros on two bottles, so like 50 bucks Canadian on two top bottles from Alto Adige. And they were happy to talk to us about wine and to find out that we were from Canada and to just have that knowledge but they had the knowledge to dispense and they're also happy that you're a journalist like yeah. they actually treat journalists like you know they are some kind of 
uh, knowledgeable and and well, worthwhile. Wait, 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 wait. You and I knowledgeable? Come on, let's not get ahead of easy there, Buckaroo. Well, I mean, they they faked it with you, but I mean, uh, they they at least treat you with uh, you know, I don't want to say respect, but I mean, there is there is kind of a respect, like the. The, uh, you had Somalia service at your at your thing, and they oh that was fun and 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 yeah it is a lot of fun. But they, you know if you get talking to some of these people, it's really really uh, funny how they're you're like you know they're picking up my spit bucket, they're pouring the wines for me, and I thank them every single of time. And they they and and I remember one year. Uh, they said, no, no, thank you for coming here and trying the wines, you know, and giving your opinion. And I'm like, who are these people? Like, I don't get that respect here like, All right. from, from you know, our liquor monopoly. Or no, I mean, they, they don't respect journalists. We already know that. I, that's what I did in Canada Land. Anyways, go back to a couple episodes or Canada Land episode 920, shameless plug. You asked me, how did I go about tasting the wines? Yes, and then I want to I get into your thoughts about, uh, one, the wines, and two... Uh, those red varieties that I kind of told you to get to. I, and, I, and look, I remember getting your text, and you literally said, Pino Bianco, what, 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 uh, WTF? And yeah. I went, absolutely. So I started with the Pino, Pino Bianco at the Anteprima, and there were about 40 of them, for uh, about 30 of them to taste. So that's how math works. So 30 of them to taste. And my favorite ones. This, is, this should surprise no one. Were Pinot Bianco that were treated like excellent Chardonnay, you know, a little bit of time in barrel, not over oaked, so like restraint, great lees contact, building big texture. Like the, the, these are wines that just were like so developed. It's just like if you've never had a really great Pinot Bianco, the best way I can describe it is it's kind of like the austerity that you get from Northern Rhone whites like Marsan and Roussan, which can often be a little too savory, spicy and barrel heavy just because the grapes are quite neutral and, you know, a really great Chardonnay. Like it's like Chardonnay and Northern Rhone had a baby child and it's in Northern Italy and it's amazing yep. and you need to taste it. You, you need, you need to get really good versions of, of that grape. So I started there. I went to sparkling after, because there were only 11 to taste. It's interesting that you would go to Sparkling, okay. I Afterward, went, you would have started with Sparkling. No, no, I went to Sparkling after Pinot Bianco. No, I know, that's why. Yeah, yeah. Um, I went to Chardonnay. That does not surprise me. And this is one where Captain Chardonnay was a little disappointed when you look at the climate, the soils, this and that, is I was expecting the, the quality to be higher, but this is one where I'm not mincing words. The entry level was still quite good. But, like, we have a Chardonnay in front of us right now from Erst New. And this isn't clearly unoaked. It's in a, oh, yeah. a Riesling-shaped bottle. It's fine, but it's, like, supremely neutral. And this I, is another thing where, I like, got some mineral. I got some lemon. But I also said very basic, but friendly and drinkable. Uh, sadly, we also have a Pinot Bianco from Ernst. Erst. He's easy drinking and New. also fairly, fairly neutral but, as well. But I'll tell you, I really couldn't tell much of a difference between those two wines yeah they you know what? they were interchangeable to me and that is not how pinot bianco should be i agree with that um i went next to pinot grigio 
I was actually impressed. Like, if you take a look at by category, half of the Pinot Grigio in a small flight had stars beside them. I, I remember, I remember their Pinot Grigio when I was there, and I liked it better because it did have some uh, some good acidity. Uh, it had some decent flavors. I don't remember, you know, being gaga over it. I remember, you know, liking it. That's it. I wasn't gaga over. I was impressed with the overall quality. But once again, the Pinot Bianco was still head and shoulders above them. And then I looked at my watch and I was running out of time. So I started picking just stuff at random, like trying to pick five and six from each variety because they said there's 20 varieties. So I tasted a bunch of Riesling. The Riesling was good, but like nothing that really like rocked me to my core. Look, Riesling is, I I hate to say it, Riesling is Riesling. So you can get Riesling pretty much anywhere these days and good Riesling. So yeah, and I I think that's a thing where. We'll probably talk about it on the podcast at some point, but like the ADX Wine Company, we're making Riesling again this year because like I, good, good Riesling, good Riesling is good Riesling, but let's try to find a way to make great Riesling. And like, who knows? Like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the hubris to say that what I'm going to do is going to be better than anybody else or or anything. But like, I'm just, I want to make something different than kind of the standard recipe that that is out there, you know. But then I would, and I was not consulted, obviously. Um, I would. I would shy away from Riesling, but you have made that choice. I'm making a small amount. Like it's, 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 it's a bit to kind of prove a point to myself that the market, anyways, we'll talk about that at a, at a later time. We're sort of bearing the lead. I appreciate you giving me your insight on it. Cause trust me, your stupid little voices in my head. Whenever I set foot in that vineyard, um, Sauvignon Blanc, we have a Sauvignon Blanc in front of us right now that I'm actually really loving. I was trying to motion you, you were drinking out of a white wine glass, put it in a burgundy glass. You're welcome. Uh, tasted some Gewurztraminer as well, which I thought was quite good. Um, and then again, um, I'm, I've never been a big fan of Gewurztraminer. I think it's one of those wines you cut your teeth on because it is sweet. Um, you know, people like it because it's different. Uh, it can be unique. Uh, but then I think you start getting into other white varieties, and you kind of you always shy away from Gewurztraminer. So then I went to Lagrain. Um, just. To- and Schiava. Like, I mean, two grape varieties that are, like, I mean, my eyes were opened completely when I went to uh, uh, Alto Adige for those two grape varieties. Well, I want to see if you ag- agree with me on the, the flavor profile for these grapes. Um, because, like, I know there are some people who are really, like, staunch defenders of Bac Noir in Ontario. And the thing is, like, when you taste the Henry Pelham back on noir, like I really, like you, you, you kind of get it. Like it's just like really like blue, but really great acid. Like especially in a hot vintage where you get a little bit more ripeness. And then it's sort of like when you taste the Legrand and the Schiava, it's the best parts of back on noir without the shit that you get. You know from the hybridness. Like it's refined. It's got an elegance on the finish. It's got this like crazy dense core of like blue fruit on the front but this like none of them are heavy what i what i didn't what i remember not liking when was when they put them together oh uh, i had some good assemblage of the the two of them together but i liked them pure as they as they were uh, I remember Schiava being like a Wait, light you just dodged my question mr politician no no i'm getting there okay cool um I remember Schiava being a lighter wine. Again, I, it's been a while. I, I tried a Schiava uh, very recently at the Mark Anthony tasting. 
Um, and uh, uh, it's one of those wines that reminds me somewhere between uh, Pinot Noir and Gamay, light, fruity, easy to drink, one of those wines you could chill, uh, whereas La Grande is made more in a robust style. Oh, I found both, like the, the examples that I tasted, both were, I felt like they were treated like Pinot Noir. And I, I think this is once again where like my head went right back to Ontario, just like in terms of like the flavor profile for both, I'll just describe it as blue, like like plum, blueberry, Saskatoon berry. The tannins are short and light, but like really great acid. Like none of those wines hit super hard. Where to me, that's a bit of the downside of the Henry Pelham Baco is like you're trying to bring a little bit of that warm climate ness to it with the vanilla from the American oak, which is not to say a, a bad thing, but the thing is for everybody else who's trying to do Baco Noir out there, like, you you just have that issue with the, you know, the wild... Like, I, I hate the term foxy because I don't know what a fox tastes like, but you, you know what I mean. It's where supposed it's just to like, taste like wild animal or something yeah, like that. It, but, I mean, I I still contend and I still have... I don't It's not even debates anymore with people. It's kind of like the aha moment with people where they go, I love Baco. And you go, do you really love Baco? And they go, I love it. It's great. And you go, who 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 do you drink Baco from? And they go, uh, well, I, I really like that Henry of Pelham. Yeah. And you go, and have you yeah, tried? Yeah, yeah. And have you tried other Baco? So so anyway. And they say, uh, no. Is there other Baco out there? Yeah, there's and, a bunch. And and there is a bunch, but nobody and like even 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 like friend of the podcast like Steve Byfield like when he's done like the Back from the Dead red at Coffin Ridge when he was making wine there was like Baco, but he would always throw in a little bit of anifera whether it was Merlot or Cab Franc yeah. or Cab so and that tried to take some of the edge out of it. The La Grin and the Schiava, I was there in September, it was still warm. It was just such a good like red wine to have with a little bit of a chill on it on a hot day and like you know, like for the people in Ontario who are mucking around with those like German vinifera, like um, Lemberger, yeah. and uh, what else have we got down here? Well, I mean, uh, I, I know that there's some uh, there's some uh, Corvina out there, uh, although that's not a very light grape. There's uh, there's some Sangiovese out there. No, those aren't those aren't German. Those are Italian, man. I know uh, Zweigelt. Zweigelt's oh, the other one. I haven't seen a good Zweigelt since Lely. Well, and I mean that's it. Is it's just like, and the thing is, um, you know, this is no knocks on on sommeliers because you and I do not have sommelier pins, but it's just like I keep seeing a lot of restaurants and wine bars in Toronto who are just like trying to make Zweigelt a thing, and it's just like, like Zweigelt's not a thing because most people in the market don't like the taste of Ontario Zweigelt, and and present company, um, in, included. Like, if 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 it was good, I would want to drink it. Going back to Alto Adige, Schiava, Lagrain, I didn't taste any that I did not enjoy. And this is one where I talk about this. Like, I tasted through them so fast, there's no stars on my booklet. But I, the five, six that I tasted out there was just like, I was completely shocked, like, right to my core yeah. at how good these wines were. I, I really liked the wines. And now you had a different experience there because they have now turned this into a, a, a straight anti-prima where my... Uh, experience was it was a walk around tasting they had tables and you were tasting and oh i was at a couple of walk around tastings they were oh, okay. lovely uh, we didn't we didn't get this sommelier service part um the year i was there but uh i remember walking table to table and and i stopped i started dropping 
uh, grape varieties. Like I was like, okay, I'm not doing Pinot Gris anymore. I'm not doing Riesling anymore. I'm not doing Gewürztraminer. Like you do the first few tables and you're like, okay, okay. They're, all, they're all either tasting the same. Uh, and the nice part is you can ask a winemaker as he's sitting there and you talk to him and you go, all right, pour me. One of the things I love doing at, at some of those mass tastings is pour me your best wine. Um, and some winemakers are serious and they pour you what they think is their best wine. And some winemakers you know are not. They're just pouring the thing that sells. Um, and nine times out of ten, the winemaker who pours you the serious wine that he thinks is his best is the guy I'm going to continue to taste wine from. And the guy who pours you that mass market, you know, this is the wine that we sell the most of. That's yep. when it, that's usually the, the thing he said. This is the one we sell the most of. You go, thank you very much, and you walk away. And because the wine that they sell most of is not the one that's exciting. I mentioned Camus earlier in this podcast. Uh, I rest my case. But okay, but you you doing the strategy that you just said, though, about the walk-around tasting, though. Is this one where, like like I said, I want to make it very clear that as, um, as, a, as a journalist, like, I'm not walking in there, you know... Obviously, I'm grateful when any region invites me because it's it's nice to have a chance to, to to travel. But like, I'm not walking in there with the mindset of everything being great. I've been fairly critical of my trip to Abruzzo on this podcast, so that's just one I want to remind you of. But I want you to agree with me that I would think you, we would you say, and I you and I had completely different experiences in Abruzzo, and I don't know weird, I don't eh? know why the the baseline of quality in Alto Adige is higher than Ontario, and I think the point I want to make on this podcast is that. Ontario needs to pull up its socks. And I'm sorry if you are a large legacy winery in Niagara-on-the-Lake that is still making a $15 bottle of wine. It might be time to start putting more work in your vineyard and pushing that price to $20 so we can push the quality up. Because that's what this region is doing. And if we start bringing international journalists who aren't just one English journalist that for some reason keeps getting flown here... um, if we start bringing real international journalists here from all over the world and we push that quality up, people will start paying attention to us. I left this region excited, and I want to see these wines at the LCBO. Um, I would, I would agree. I think there, there Whoa! needs to be a. a Sorry, can, a, can you, can you, can you say that again? No, but write it on your calendar. No, can you please, please? No, not. I had, I had a bad day. You know that. Please be, just say it again. Because I'm looking at the Saskatchewan Rough Riders thing that has Saskatchewan on it like four or five times. Does, do, do they not know who they are? <laughs> Like can you please? I, like I mean, can you please just say it again? Like my God, there's like just say it again. Is this a? You must have made this shirt yourself because it's got four or five different no, logos bought it, on bought it. it from the Rogers store. Um, can you please just say it again? I, Andre, I, I no, I can't. Um, so I don't even know where we are anymore. I'm looking at the Saskatchewan well, you, you Rough Riders. You were thing. just saying that you agree with me that we need to push the quality of the entry level up. So if you want to pick it up from, I agree with you, Andre. We can go from there. Uh, so. I, I, I do believe we have to look at quality winemaking over quantity. We have to start talking. We have to stop talking about, you know, I remember when 2000, I think it was 2013, was the greatest harvest in Ontario history. Not because it was a great year. Yep. Not because it was, you know, we had great sunshine and a great fall. Oh, when we talk about volume. It was volume. Yep. Like, when does that become the sign of a great vintage? I think that's that's it's covering it. Yeah, it's, it's it like, the, 
you're also you're also misleading the public because when you send out a press release that talks about how great the volume is inevitably places like cbc and global and ctv pick up the story being like oh this is this is a really great harvest like, yeah like we got a press release from the ggo and everything saying oh my god this is a really great harvest so this must be a really great harvest you and i both know like there are except we we make great wine in every vintage i opened up a 2019 wilms vineyard chardonnay from Batchelder with with anya uh, a couple weeks ago and i asked her to blind it for me and she thought it was burgundy and I'm sure that will make Thomas feel very happy. There are going to be great wines from 2019, but 2019, objectively, like if you're picking up Cab Sauve from 2019, not a, not a, not a vintage Merlot example. from 2019, yeah, a little bit dicey. Uh, Cab Franc still is 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 good, but you but might are you going to take a 2019 weird. over a 2020? I would take a 2020. Uh, I mean, Chardonnay will get good from 2019. Riesling will get good from 2019. Anything that needed really good acidity, yeah. But I mean, that's it though. You're, you're, it, it was not. A great like twenty twenty objectively great vintage. Do you know twenty fifteen is is a is a good vintage one because the quantities are down, uh, and and that's by that's by you know natural selection uh, because we had a um, can we hear him on here? The dog is snoring beside us, and he just farted, and it smells so bad. Unless oh, that was I you, that, I thought that was the Pinot Noir. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Okay, so b- before we wrap, since we've gone off on like a local tangent where, you know, I think it's been a while since we've been really, really critical of the local industry, and I hope the critique that we've given has been fair and not I, I and not just take whinging. it properly. Like, I mean, you because know, there are a lot of industry people who listen to this. And I know people in Ontario work hard, but like, I know the economics you are, are you, challenging. You are handcuffed by what you are given. You really are. Like, I mean, when the GGO says you have to do grapes this way. It becomes a problem. It, I agree. Okay, and, and so, when the VQA says it has to have uh, a certain uh, taste, uh, then it becomes a problem. What is what is the word again? I can't remember. Oh, it has uh, typicity. Since when is that a good word in wine? Well, the thing is, the typicity has gotten too narrow. Like this is one of the reasons. This is one of the reasons why ADX is making Riesling this year. Is like we sort of have a recipe. In Ontario, where it's clone Vice Twenty One B, you know, and and uh, you know, it's it's great. Like that clone does great in Ontario. But how many wineries make? I, I want you to name up some wineries that do this recipe for me. Approximately twenty bucks a bottle, about ten to twenty grams per liter residual sugar, and like ten to thirteen percent alcohol. Like who who does that recipe in Ontario with those clones? Maybe Vineland. There we go. That's one. Uh, uh, I would think that uh, no, they don't. They're a little higher these days. I was going to say thirty bench, but I think their stuff is a little higher. Featherstone. Featherstone is definitely one of the ones that keeps it uh, keeps it legit with price wise. Megalomaniac. Uh, yeah, they do, but I'm not a fan of that that base model reasoning of theirs. Rockway. Uh, again, same same thing. Hit but, but, miss. The, but this is but this is hitting your model of typicity. It's but I, like I, I, but I was I was thing. I was looking at also you know consistency and quality. Um, Rockway is up and down with consistency of quality, as far as I'm concerned. Some years it's really good. Some years is so good. Okay, okay. But, but uh, that's 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 where I, I I get at or I come at from that. Okay, okay. So now I guess focusing back on this, let's finish talking about some of the wines that were sent to us. 
Uh, we have the... So the, we talked about the Ernst new... The, the, the Alwa Lajade or Lajader, uh, Pinot, Pinot Bianco. It was definitely more interesting than the... I thought, I thought here there was an almost creaminess to the yeah. some lime and some almond, which I thought was really uh, yeah, really weird. strong minerality, floral. But, but also, we we got a chance to taste these wines at the Mark Anthony portfolio tasting, and they had better wines on the table. That was the Lagrange or the Schiava that you tasted yeah. was from this producer. Yeah. So I'm happy the Pinot Bianco is here. I would have been more happy if the Chardonnay or the Schiava was Schiava here. was here. Uh, this Cantina Colterenzio. Which is the Lafoy? Uh, yes, this is the so this is the Sauvignon that I got to taste in the vineyard yeah. while I was there, and this is one where Michael's stupid little voice was in my head. And by the way, this is one where if you do enotourism, have Michael's stupid little voice in your head because when you're circumstantial, the wines always taste better. We were in the vineyard with one of the people who work for the winery. We walked down the rows of beautiful Sauvignon Blanc that, by the way, tasted like mango. Like, the fruit was so ripe and so beautifully balanced. And when we walked through the vineyard, at the end of the row, we got to taste this wine in the vineyard. And it's it's good. It's really good. I'm really glad. I, this is still, I think, my favorite wine on the table right now. Did you taste it in a burgundy glass? I did not. I did not do that. Okay, you need to, you need like, to do I that. Got some, I got really ripe fruit. I got grapefruit zest. I got almost a creamy texture. Uh, it was really delicious and some candied grapefruit, which you know you don't usually get in. Um, no, that's pretty typical of like what I would expect, having walked the vineyard and seeing how ripe the fruit was. And alcohol is what probably fourteen percent on this. Uh, yeah, it is. So you said try this in the burgundy glass. Because yeah, because it's seen a little bit of wood, if we, I'm not mistaken. We did. We did also have a Pinot Noir from uh, Elena Walsh. Wal- uh, I think that's a German name, though, to tell you the truth. So, probably Walsh. Um, whatever it is, uh, because you see a lot of Germanic names. Oh, it's heavily uh, German influence. Um, and that was that was that was pretty good Pinot Nero. Like I, I, I don't think any of these wines are terribly expensive. Like I know that um, Sopexa were kind enough to line these up for us, and um, I think these are all SAQ wines. Unfortunately, none available in Ontario. Uh, and you know the last thing before we, we wrap this is the one thing I wanted to mention as well because this once again goes to variety and it's just like I know I know every region's kind of looking for their own judgment of Paris moment but like we did do uh, a tasting with um, Bordeaux styled wines of Cortaccia where we got to compare the local wines with wines from Bordeaux California and can you help me region of Tuscany that grows Bulgaria Bulgaria Bulgar. Bulgari. Bulgari. Okay, I just want to make sure I was saying it properly. And um, every single flight, I was in a room with journalists from Switzerland, from Japan, from the United States. And on aggregate scores, we all tasted the wines blind, scored them, handed in our forms. Um, on every flight, the Italian wines performed exceptionally well. Um, but my favorite thing about the tasting was that the Opus One flight the Opus One was punched way down. Man, what an overrated wine. <laughs> wow. That is pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, like um, this is once again going to variety. I'm Team Pinot Bianco. If, if there's one thing I want to hang my hat on from Alto Adige, it's Pinot Bianco. But like, man, like the depth of the quality of the portfolio is 
truly spectacular. I, I would tell anybody to go find some Legren and, and Schiava if you if you have the opportunity to try those red grape fries, which again I find very interesting in a heavily white wine climate like Alto Adige that they have these two red grape varieties that really, uh, to me, were head and, when I went were head and shoulders above the uh, the white wines, but. Do you know how Pinot I remember, Bianco was was also my white wine of choice from there. Do you know how I remember Legren? The name Legren, just because it's not something we find in North America. I'm afraid to ask. So. No, no, you're going to appreciate this because it's it's connected to like stupid old music that you like. Is it's the ZZ Top grape? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, they'll. Well, that's the Grange, isn't it? That's the- close enough. I'm Andre Proof from UndereWineReview.ca. And I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. Uh, thank you for supporting the podcast. Once again, thanks to Valdaca for sponsoring us. But if you want to make sure that we keep things going, once Valdaca stops sponsoring us at the end of the year, uh, patreon.com slash two guys talking wine. Uh, Andre, I really like this uh, this Sauvignon. I think you were uh, dead uh, dead right on Oh my this God, that's one. two times. All right, Good night. Away. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.